I couldn't be religious and gay. It was impossible. I was being marketed as some sort of like teenage it girl. When a girl kissed me on my 18th birthday, a whole other world opened up to me. I was a minor nuisance. Eight Australians will tell you about the choices that have led them to unexpected places. These are some of the stories you will hear on Let Me Tell You, a podcast where real people tell incredible real stories. Look for Let Me Tell You and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the fight. It sucks. Welcome to Eyes on Gilead, a weekly discussion of season two of The Handmaid's Tale, which is premiering on SBS Australia and SBS On Demand every Thursday at 8.30. We're going to be doing this every week as the episodes drop, and the first two episodes of season two have just aired, and we have opinions. My name is Fiona Williams, and I'm managing editor of SBS Movies and Guide here at SBS. And I'm joined by my colleagues, Sana Kadar and Natalie Hambley. Hello. Hello. Hi. So I'm Sana. I'm a journalist at SBS. I currently report for a business program here. And I'm Canadian, so I sort of grew up with the book and knowing Margaret Atwood, but I never actually read the book. <laughs> so probably also like many Canadians. Um, so it's been a real pleasure to see the book in TV form. And I'm Natalie Hambly, the Managing Editor of SBS Life, where we publish a variety of women's voices and we certainly do tackle the themes that come up in The Handmaid's Tale. And I have to say, I'm somewhat of a newbie to The Handmaid's Tale. I took a long time watching it and I have just done what everyone says not to do, which is binge watch season one. Which I do actually highly recommend. <laughs> yeah, I've been binge-watched it again in anticipation of the new season dropping and it, it helps. I think you do need to just experience it because when season two starts, it's boom, right into it. Yeah. And yeah do you I know think, what I, I didn't? I just sort of left it because I was watching season one as it went to air. And I thought about maybe I should recap for this and I thought, oh my God, I don't know if I could relive all of season one before diving into what more misery awaits. <laughs> Well, and for myself, I was a bad book club member and sort of half read the book. And, We've but, all been there. Yeah, I know. But uh, I mean, we're really not speaking to our credentials here, are we? But, um, not really. Yeah. But, you know, knew of it in the abstract and knew of the film with um, Natasha Richardson back in the day and sort of knew of it through the references that were being drawn to it post the uh, presidential election of mm. 2016. And then with this series coming, it just all signs are pointing to just get on board with yeah. The Handmaid's Tale, would yeah. you? Yeah. Because like, I avoided The Handmaid's Tale because I was so afraid of the traumatic content. My friends warned me off and they said, oh, the, like, the content's really very heavy. And I thought, oh, I don't think I'm ready for this. I tried to watch it. The opening scenes of when June has been taken away from her daughter. For me, mm. that is like red line content for me. Like I have a real hard time with like separation of children. Like I couldn't watch the movie Lion, even though everyone mm. loved it, because I just can't handle the idea of a small boy being on a train <laughs> taken away from his parents. Does that mean um, to catch up to speed for this, you binge watch? So I have I have binged this and <laughs> oh everyone said, don't binge it. That's the um, worst way to do it. And, but actually, what I didn't realise and what people kind of didn't say enough or perhaps I just didn't hear it well enough was the show was so good. Like, mm. the, like the quality mm. of it is fantastic. It's one of the best shows I've seen in a while. The acting is amazing. The production values, all of it is so good. It actually is must watch TV aside from the dramatic content. Just mm. like deal with it. 
it's worth it. Well, I, yeah, I think you have to check. Like, it's it's not going to be fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, exactly. it's women being, yeah. you know, made to be human incubators for a authoritarian state. The horrors so it's, are real. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's not a walk in the park. But but also there's a wit to it that with June slash Offred's mm. voiceovers and her observations and I love the, the winking and just the ironies that come up in and the code that they have um, all the handmaids with each other. It's like I love the, the tone to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And I also quite liked, because I find the show is kind of strangely timeless in that you sort of can't pick what era it's in because whether it's the set design to the clothes they're wearing, it's sort of a mix of old and new. But I love how they mix in popular culture as well. So in season one, there was a lot of great music, which we were all familiar with. There was like Blondie's Heart of Glass. There was even Kylie Minogue in there, which was always quite effective but also strange as well. It's kind of a little bit jarring but in a good way, in a way that was a blessed relief. Um, Season two I found interesting because they have done a similar thing. They have taken it I think in a slightly new direction but it is still still traumatic, (laughs) warning to everybody. Um, Season one I thought was very strong because every episode we learn a bit more about Gilead and we were shown a new horror. Like I would open up the next episode going, what horror am I going to see this time? And there was always something. The opening scenes of season two was straight into horror mm. again. What mm. horror of this universe are we going to see this time? And it was, it is full on. Like, you know, you get your warning the first 10 minutes in of like, are you tough enough for this? And when she was taken away in the van, she had a mask put on. Um, all the handmaids were um, rounded up in that um, football field. Fenway Park. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I just want to shout out here to when I was talking about their amazing acting, Elizabeth Moss. Mm. Like, like most of her face was covered up and all you could see was her eyes and she was absolutely petrified. It was amazing. I just, I just thought, just give her all the awards now. Oh, she's probably got some space on a trophy cabinet, but, but not that much from <laughs> Mad Men and much. this. Yeah, she's pretty amazing. And she does act with her eyes. Like, not all of it is spoken and, it, you know, a lot of her work is voiceover. But also with Mad Men, like, and Top of the Lake, you know, she, you do understand why she is kind of the go-to female. I was actually wondering, because I never watched Mad Men. Oh, I actually oh, didn't wow. like the sexism in season one. I couldn't handle watching it, so I ended up tuning out. Now watching How do you her... handle the sexism in Handmaid's Tale? <laughs> <That's my goodness>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, there's a reason why I avoided it. Yeah. But now watching her in this, I am like, I should have watched Mad Men because her acting is mm. just extraordinary. And it, it's fantastic the way it plays on your memories of Peggy as well in Mad yeah, Men. Like she yeah. was your feminist in, in Mad yeah. Men. She was the first woman to work there. She worked her way up to being one of the creative directors. Well, it's funny because one of the scenes in Mad Men that I had actually struggled with was when she was trying to get birth control mm. and she had a male doctor who was basically sort of slut-shaming her. And I just think the evolution of that actress that she now has a character which, again, is legs in stirrups, you know, on like a doctor's bed and she's still being shamed and she's still being infantilised. And I thought, oh, this is... The echoes of Peggy are Mm. quite interesting. Mm. Very much. Well, let's back up the truck. So I binge-watched one again in anticipation of this. And I think it does help because, you know, at the end she's bundled into this van, you don't know what's going on. It could be great. It could be amazing. This could be her ticket out. Oh, actually. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, the the cliffhanger was, where is she going? And then it's boom, right into it with the first episode one of season two, bundled off to Fenway Park for Aunt Lydia's extremely elaborate (sighs) payback. Oh, gosh. You will love the Lord thy God with all your heart. Ye shall walk with him and fear him and cleave unto him. 
and you shall obey his word and the word of his servants here on earth. Or you shall feel the pain of his judgment. For that is his love. Let this be a lesson to you. Our Father, who art in heaven. Seriously? What the actual fuck? And so, I, this correct me if I'm wrong, this could be the first time we're in a real world location. It's got a name, it's Fenway Park there. Yes, I think so. I think they deliberately tried to make it feel more... Boston-like yes. this season. Yeah, very much. There's been allusions to it, sort of it with something. There was the episode in season one where you saw June and Moira get on the train to try and oh, leave yes. the Red Centre, yeah, but that, yeah. that was a subway, but it didn't have a real-world kind of... Exactly. It could be any subway anywhere. Exactly. Really, they were taking down the sign so you couldn't actually see which stop it was. But here they bundled in to this strange tunnel and come out with the lights of Fenway Park. And, Sana, do you want to speak to what Fenway Park is? Fenway Park is... Um, Oh God, I'm gonna betray my Canadianness again here. Um, a baseball pitch park. <laughs> I actually can't even remember what you call it. I've been out of Canada so long. But yes, um, and the Red Sox play there. They're a very iconic Boston baseball team. So yeah, it's a very iconic position in, in Boston. Yeah, and so the, the glimpse of the sign brings on a avalanche of memories for, for June as she's there in this traumatic situation and there's gallows and they're all being herd, mm. herded up onto this onto mm-hmm. the nooses. And do you know, I forgot most of, actually for season one, I watched it when it went to air. Mm. So it's been a while since we've seen season one. And I remember the ending, bundled mm. into a van, not knowing what's next. But when season two started this first episode, I had completely forgotten how effective the show was at making me feel scared and sad. Yes. Like those yeah. two very perfect emotions. Uh, the music, the, you know, that thrumming sort of deep bass, I don't even know what you call it, and, and just, you know, watching her act with her eyes because she gets yeah. covered. Mm-hmm. I had completely forgotten how, how much it could just throw me down a hole of feeling hopeless, really. Yes, mm. it was quite, it was, even though you know that she can't die, you know, we yeah. still have 10 episodes to go. So clearly June lives, but. And all of the handmaids too. I mean, they're all up there. Yes. <laughs> it's not just June. Um, but I was still petrified for her. I yeah. thought, oh my God, what is going to happen here? Like, And I think it was down to those eyes as well, which really, really get you in that scene. But when you hear the sound of when the flooring was meant to have fallen away, but yeah. it actually hasn't. Mm. And you really feel it. Like I really felt that sort of, oh. Um, it's a, and also I think the show is being shot a lot darker as well. Like mm. I've, I was sort of having a hard time picking a few things out because it seems to be deliberately quite dark, mm. visually dark. Mm. Um, but yes, those opening scenes, it really, it really does take you right back to season one, doesn't it? And when the handmaid wets herself just yeah. before she's about to, you know, oh. be hung. Oh, it's just, yeah. And played all over this is that beautiful Kate Bush song, This yeah. Woman's Work, which yes. also brings with it a whole mm. flood of feeling because yeah. it is about a, a man watching his wife give birth and having complications. It was written and used in the John Hughes oh, movie. Right. She's having that. a baby and that's when Kevin Bacon is watching Elizabeth McGovern give birth to their child uh-huh. and there's complications that risks all of their lives. So for that, this song played at that moment and that song yeah. always makes me cry anyway. Yeah. So, it, it, yeah, it was really quite beautiful, the aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think they really are trying to set it more in locations which people in the US would absolutely know and understand and have a history of feeling of. And in episode two, it is very clearly set in the Boston Globe offices, 
which memorably was um, recently won an Oscar for a movie about their amazing work, which was highlighting sex abuse mm. from the Catholic Church. And I thought, what an interesting yeah. choice. I thought that too. Yeah. However, the Boston Globe, especially um, as a journalist, oh, that was hard to watch because she didn't describe it. She didn't say, I'm in a newspaper office. She said, I'm in a slaughterhouse. Exactly. Yeah. And to see just such a isolated, abandoned printing press and Mm -hmm. just to know that, you know, this was probably one of the first places targeted by the regime for you know, the free press and whatnot. And is if we can talk about her eyes again, as she was, because she has no one to talk to there. Mm. So it's actually a very sort of silent scene. There's just pictures of her and she's got a torch going around in the dark. But um, she's walking down some stairs and you see her face, her, like her head turns and her face just drops. Like clearly what she has seen is so awful that I, and they take time with it as yeah, well. And, and then I was slowly thinking, the nooses come into focus. Yes. And like, oh my God. I was thinking, what is she, what, like, what has she seen? What is she looking at? What horror is this? Do I really want to know? I thought there was going to be dead bodies uh, there, but then yeah. realising just clearly how traumatised she is mm. by her almost death. That, like seeing those nooses and then also the um, bullet holes in the wall. Mm. Oh, my gosh. And it's interesting because it's the way they've shot it, it's actually very slow to reveal where you are. They really take yes, their time. Everything's close up on her. It's quite out of focus. And it's not until the nooses that you start to sort of finally see the setting more so where you're in. So I found that really interesting because it's maybe mirroring the confusion in her head or... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And again, the Boston Red Sox come in at the end where normally the episode ends with a song and some a song that literally references something in the episode or the feeling within June at the end of every show. But here it's silent and then it very slowly builds up to the um, the audio of the Red Sox famous victory in, in the World Series. You not, know more than not I do. Then. Out the, yeah, <laughs> so it's yeah, quite a powerful connection back to Boston again. It's interesting how because they are beyond the book now. I read an interview with the show's creator, which I think he's called Bruce Miller, but he said when it came time to looking at the newspaper, he wanted to actually play on the language and rhetoric that is around the news in the US at the moment and the distrust of the media. Mm-hmm. He said that he wanted to take it to sort of its logical conclusion of what would happen in the world of Gilead. And how horrifying mm. is that? Wow. Like, yeah. And I think in that second episode particularly, and we're talking about both together because they, they have premiered it on SBS as a joint premiere double, that second episode particularly does connect very strongly back to the real world. And in this episode as well, we see uh, Ofglen again, slash Emily, and see her backstory. And we see her wife and the child being stopped at customs in mm. trying to flee when it's all going down in, back in the day. So That's what I'm finding interesting about this, is that we seem to be going back in time, but we're now, like in season one, we were just introduced to Gilead and for most of the season we were just introduced to how does this new world work. In season two we seem to be seeing how did they get there. Yep. Yeah. Very much. Yeah, and you're um, seeing the building blocks, like you're seeing very small indignities that amount to horrible ends. So, for example, when she's asking her husband to sign her birth control sort of prescription pill saying it's it's needed now, it's mm. the law. And then when she's being shamed at the hospital at when picking up her daughter and being told, you know, you're a working parent, so what happens when your daughter's sick, that kind of thing. Those small indignities yes. that lead to this horrible nightmare in the end. Um, it's really interesting to see how that built up. Yeah, there are very small hints at how that, that you know, they're, they're kind of moments of that sort of all hashtag as a mother and, yeah. you know, questioning your fitness to, to look after your children. And also those small things, I mean, 
no one's having to get their husband to sign for their birth control prescription. But, you know, there are small indignities in life still being a woman every now and then. And let's hope it doesn't ever lead to that. But it's it's just interesting to draw those parallels of, you know, small moments of... I thought it was quite funny, for instance, that the nurse was deliberately not calling her Ms. Osborne. They were calling her by her husband's surname and she... And June that corrected her multiple <laughs> times. But the weird thing is, is that like, because I have a son and and our surnames are different and I'm not married. And I've actually come across this really? a lot. Yeah, where I'm frequently called Mrs. It just seems to be the default. So presumptuous. And then, it, and then I think, oh, do I want to correct that or not? Like, it's not really a big deal. But so I'm finding it interesting how these small things are sort of happening in their lives. And I'm sort of wondering at what point do they realise that something is really wrong? And Mm. so that flashback of June, I think that's all in one day. And it starts off so wonderfully happy and hopeful where instead of getting the birth control pills, she actually says maybe we should try for a second baby. And you think the world can't be too bad yet because having a baby is just like the most hopeful thing you can do. So if you want to bring a child into the world, clearly the world they're living in hasn't changed that much yet. But then later in the day she gets absolutely shamed for being a working mother Mm. and then when they come home there's a terror attack in Washington and and. Her face, again, her face um, in the hallway in between her daughter's bedroom and the lounge room. You can sort of see that she's sort of, this is dawning on her that something is really going on here. Mm. And that, of course, is the attack on Congress and and the Washington assault that that then is the trigger for the martial law and military powers that allowed the commander and and Mm. co and Serena to, uh, to take over and create Gilead. So, yeah. And that first episode, you know, we're mentioning the hints where June is being shamed. That whole episode is judging women in the lens of their fertility because that's also yes. where <clears throat> in within Gilead, before breaking out, this is all part of Aunt Lydia's payback. Aunt Lydia discovers that she's with child and it's the most precious thing, so she starts ringing the bells. But then when June doesn't want to eat. <laughs> She's being shamed for not providing sustenance to her child. She meets of Wyatt, who's been chained up because she threatened the life of her baby. So this whole episode is looking at your fitness as a mother, even if you're a reluctant mother and you've been raped and used as a human incubator. <laughs> Blessed evening of Wyatt. Of Wyatt was having a hard time at home. She was very defiant. She drank drain cleaner, just terrible. Of Wyatt endangered her child. This we simply cannot abide. Alfred, if you choose to be difficult, I will be forced to make arrangements. Nine months can feel like quite a long time. Blessed be the fruit. May the Lord open. And then when Ofglen was caught up at customs and it showed again how their world was changing because the guy who is going through the paperwork apologises and says, I'm sorry, but the law is changing every day. And the questions that they were asking her, they were insisting on finding out whether her son was hers and whether it was her own egg or a donor egg. And I was there going, why are they asking that? Like, why are they so insistent? And then I went, oh, they're trying to assess her fitness uh, to be a mother if she can have any more children. Oh, it's horrible. I also just love that they the first immigration officer was, you know, friendly and sort of much yeah. more positive and then you get the horrible one at the end. And that's so like real life. It's it often is. just to the whim of whatever officer you get and... Yeah, yeah, how so rigid they was, want to be at implementing exactly. the rules. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was another real world connection. Yeah, totally. It was so real that way. This is not valid. It has a stamp. 
No, the document is no longer recognized. You are not married. What? It's forbidden. Forbidden? What does that mean? Forbidden by the law. Oh, mommy. What law? The law. So on that point when Lydia was trying to get June to eat food and you could almost see like the cogs turning in June's head of how far can I push mm. this because clearly I'm pregnant and they're not going to do too much to me. Mm. And it does just get worse and worse. But what we see is the handmaids get brought in and even though June's not going to get this punishment, she has to watch it and listen to it. And the handmaids are taken to a commercial stovetop and they are handcuffed to it and then at the end the open flame is turned on and you can just hear the screams and you just have this feeling that June is never going to forget those screams ever. And I was thinking, how much worse can this show get? <laughs> that was a miserable <laughs> scene to watch. Yeah, that yeah. was... And then she's out. And then she's <laughs> and then out. She's whisked away across Boston slash Gilead with sirens that you know mm. are looking for her because the commander is keen to get his pregnant handmaid back. And then the transition to episode two. So at the end of one, she burns the robes, cuts off the red tag. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's I love that scene. That is amazing. <laughs> I actually got shades of um, Linda Hamilton and Terminator 2 with that, with like... The sure. singlet and the blood coming down and even, dare I say, a little bit of Bruce Willis and Die Hard. Remember sure. when he was plucking the glass out of his feet? Yep. Like it's sort of... There, are uh, some, there is some memorable single, singlet work in It was in a really, the yes, <laughs> there is. It was a real power moment, I thought. Yeah, yeah very much. Yeah, yeah, taking control of her own body, you know, still getting pain inflicted on her, but mm. this time it's self-directed in the pursuit of freedom, really. Yeah. Yeah. And then episode two, as we say, is within the Boston Globe once she gets there and the officers there. But we also, in the flashback, aside from the Ofgun backstory with Emily, we get our first glimpse of the colonies. Yes. Yeah. Which is yeah. a bleak hellscape. Well, the thing is, it has to be bad because yeah, <laughs> because Lydia says to June that you were going to be doing Janine a favour by killing her because otherwise she's going to be sent to the colonies. And you think, Death by stoning is yeah. better than going to the colonies? How bad can this be? And how good's June's line, friends don't stone friends? Yes. <laughs> That's yes. a good one. Yeah. Um, and, of course, it is only women in the colonies yeah. uh, shoveling radioactive dirt. But there's a great introduction of Marissa Tomei as a, yes. uh, as a shamed wife slash mistress who uh, gets her comeuppance in how, the colonies. How fantastic that they've got Marissa Tomei. I like, love her. Uh, <laughs> yes, right? Like, she, is so, she is so good and yeah. she was very good in this. And again, it's a slow reveal as well as, as to whether it's her or not. She's shot in shadow and yeah, on profile. Yeah. Speaking of shadow, there must be light as well. One of the parts of this that I love, and I think most people need this to, you know, keep going in the series, is the relationship between June and Max Minghella's character. Yes, Nick. Ah, Nick's the Nick. driver. Yes. Okay. We'll get to that. So yes. I was taking notes as I was watching, and one of my notes is not the most intelligent, but it's his first line when he appears in episode one where he says, you okay? In his really deep, mm. sexy voice, and I was like, oh, my God. I just died there. Mm. He's so great in that role. I love it. And, you know, of course, he, he comes in and they have that incredible sex scene oh in, the, in yeah. the Boston Globe office at, at a point where she's in a slaughterhouse. Yeah. She's about to leave, comes back. Where you've had a lot of death and a lot of sort Absolutely. of sadness and you sort of need in that a place to of death. rejuvenate you. 
<laughs> yeah. What was quite funny afterwards is that there's a scene of her watching an old episode of Friends mm. and it's Monica schooling Chandler on the erogenous zones and I'm thinking she just had a marathon sex session. She knows all about it. Yeah. <laughs> she could teach She's that. got that covered. Yeah. And on Friends, I was not a big fan of Friends back in the day so it was kind of funny to me that that's probably the only time I would watch a DVD of Friends was if I had no other option in it. <laughs> It was the only day, that would be the irony of yeah, all I would right. have would be a big DVD. And you know what's interesting? So Aunt Lydia had that whole spiel about freedom to and freedom from. And pre Gilead, they all had freedom to, but and now they've got freedom from. Mm, mm. And that scene, sort of when she's in the Boston Globe, sort of on the way to freedom, it sort of struck me that she's now reclaimed freedom to. So she's got the freedom to watch shitty television if she wants to and, and have sex with who she wants to. She's still in this sort of in-between space, but and she's not quite free from Gilead quite yet. So she's reclaiming a bit of the freedom to, but mm. still stuck, you know, without freedom from Gilead and sort of she's still trapped a little bit. Yeah, and I just love that episode, the second episode, where the mementos of people who were there and obviously left and were dealt with in the basement, mm. in the printing press, and that the mementos, like the shoe that looks like someone left hastily and mm. then we find the matching pair downstairs. And, you know, at first these little trinkets and desk objects and all the little, you know, paraphernalia we have on our desks are hints that someone was here, but then all of a sudden they're, they're the only things left of people who were here and it just has that beautiful closes the loop at the end where she, you know, puts them back and it makes that slaughterhouse wall a memorial wall to the people who, who lost their lives there. I think it was beautiful. It was. It was lovely. But part of me was also thinking, you don't have time for this. Oh. <laughs> They've just given you a hammer. What are you ever going to do with it? Do some push-ups, woman. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think we should talk about the theme of season two apparently is resist. And so we should start seeing mm. some fight back. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. I think this was sort of a, a full stop to that and, you know, with the sex scene she sort of works through things and then it's a change of focus and I'm fascinated to see where the next the next episodes go. Well, because Emily Glenn, she's the one that has really sort of taken the retribution yeah. yep. angle. Like I was quite surprised. She is not to be messed with. Exactly. Like she is so far away from the academic that we are introduced uh. to in flashback who's studying the biome and she's got glasses and she's teaching students and she does not look like Rory at all. But we see her now in the colonies and she is a changed woman. Mm. And when she comes across Marissa Tomei's character, I actually did think that she was helping her. Yeah, so did I. I did not see that coming at all. And she had like this line where she absolutely gave the explanation for why she had killed her, which was, you helped hold a woman down while your husband raped her. And every then, month. Every month. And then she said, you should die alone. And I thought, this woman has changed mm. and, it's, mm. and it's kind of amazing. Although yeah. you do in the flashback get a small sense of she is not to be messed with when yeah. the male student sort of interjects and says this pompous little thing. And she, he mansplains she, the exactly, lecture. Exactly. And yep. she totally pushes back without skipping a beat, yeah. perfectly politely, but, you know, making it known. She knows what she's talking about. Yeah. Um, so you see a hint of that steeliness sort of in her and don't mess with me kind of thing. And when the creeping homophobia, you know, she's, yeah. she's it's strongly suggested, maybe yeah. don't have a photo of your wife and your child on your yeah. phone. Yeah, and, and she's like, no. You're right, she yeah. pushed back. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. you see you see that that she is a resistor to that kind of stuff. Absolutely, and I like also that, she, you know, she's a molecular biologist and it's all on a cellular level that, that's, you know, she's teaching that and then it's, you know, it's from that that everything kind of grows. So I think that's the little 
small microbe of, a, of resistance yeah. there in her, That's interesting, if you yeah. will. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Thank you. So um, where did we end episode two? Well, that was with the, with the memorial shrine. wall. Yeah. No. And, I mean, also she says a prayer because I think yeah, this, which this show... Yeah, interesting. Yeah, this show gets flack for being anti-religion or, you know, because it is... Gilead is all yeah. based on old biblical references and whatnot. And I wonder, and does she really still believe in God? Does she believe this prayer after all that she's been through? Mm. Is she... I like that hint to it, though. Maybe yeah. she does because it's a, maybe it's a misappropriation of her faith and her religion that's taken Gilead down this track. I, you know, just that suggestion. Or is it a default, that's what you do when you're memorialising? I don't know. I yeah. like the vagary of that. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. So there was no Luke, no Moira in this one. Mm. Um, it's probably time they come back and... Which I reckon we'll, we'll find out about what's going yeah. on with their life. I'm actually curious up. to see what Canada is like because it's it's not the <laughs> it's same great. country that we know now. You know, clearly the whole world has changed because it's not just America that is um, struggling to have children. So I'm actually kind of curious to see how are the other country is dealing with this. Mm. But I love that it's the parallel to real life exists and that it's a refuge for yeah. those fleeing. And that's still the case right mm. now in our current life with, you know, Syria and all the rest. Um, it makes me very proud to be a Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> We're pretty awesome. <laughs> and, you know, there's only a glimpse of the commander and Serena um, yeah. looking for Alfred slash June. So clearly they're going to come back into it. And I, yeah. I'm assuming more more flashbacks of, of their story, and especially Serena. I think we're going to get more Serena's glimpses of that. Serena's a fascinating character to yeah. me. Yeah. She is such a jumble of conflict to me. Like when when it was re- revealed in season one that she had a hand in sort of being an architect for this new world and then, you know, sort of got shunted to the side. Having not read the book, I had absolutely no idea mm. that that was part of her story, which is fascinating. I mean, to have a woman that played a role in creating this hell for women, mm-hmm. and yes. uh, you know, and she's now a victim of it in a way herself. Yeah. And in watching the the series again through one and then, and then you know, first two of two, Aunt Lydia, the mm. enormous villain of the piece, do you think we'll ever get a flashback of Aunt Lydia or is, it, is she just such a bland to. character back oh. in the day that now is her time to shine? And no, she's... I think there is there is so much simmering below there. How did she get to be so yeah. strident? How did she get to be such a committed believer? Or is she? Is she just, you know, working in self-preservation as well? Yeah, I'd love to know. A bit yeah, about I'd like a little idea. hint. But also I like that we don't have that. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Either way. No, no, I want to know everything about everyone. Yeah. <laughs> having, like, everyone. having watched season one just so recently, what really struck me about it was that no one was happy, that they have created this new mm. world, but mm. no one's having a good time. It's not like the husbands and wives are off like having parties and living a good life. It is such a sombre environment. Like I am wondering, do they have any sort of guilt about it or any sort of regret going we didn't think it was going to be quite this bad. And I think that's with Serena's character. She was writing books. She was speaking Mm. and and she helped write the law, but did she really mean for it to go this far? Did she really think that she was going to get shunted as much as she has been? Yeah. And that's why seeing Nick and June together is such a relief because everyone is miserable all the the time. And the only time you see any joy is when they're bonking. (laughs) Bring it on. Yeah. yeah, It's like you need those (laughs) moments to... Yeah, keep you going in that horrible, horrible world. Yeah, and I was it episode four or something in the in the first series. Yeah, where she gets hers. Like when when they finally get together and yeah. and it culminates in an orgasm. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah. that was it's a like nice the moment in the series. Right. Yeah, exactly. It was you go, June. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. <laughs> On that note, you go, June. Um, well, thank you. It's been. Fantastic, just venting, you know, the feelings that we've had about mm. the first two episodes of series two. I think a good way to end it is actually a quote from a random character 
which was one of the men who I think we just meet once. And he says to June, welcome to the fight. It sucks. I thought that is the absolute slogan for this for this series, isn't yeah. it? Welcome to the fight. It sucks. sucks. Yeah, it's not going to be easy, folks. Oh, and I'll, the delivery man who who pops her at the Boston Globe office, mm-hmm. I do enjoy that she says under his eye and he's... After in a while, while crocodile. crocodile. Yeah. I loved it. I was like, oh, we're reaching normal life again. Yeah, exactly. The people. language of Gilead doesn't really work. We're on really the work. periphery of Gilead now. Yeah. We're moving beyond. Yeah, you don't have to play that game anymore. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sana and Natalie, for joining us here on Eyes on Gilead. This has been great. Thank, thank you. Thank you. And we plan to do this every time an episode drops at SBS. So all new episodes of The Handmaid's Tale Season 2 premiere on SBS Australia at 8.30pm every Thursday and at SBS On Demand. And join us every week for Eyes on Gilead, where we just need to vent our feelings at the end of every episode. Absolutely. For episode recaps and more Handmaid's Tale coverage, go to sbs.com.au slash guide. And if you want to seek us out on social media, you can find me on Twitter at anything but Fifi. And I am at Sana, S-A-N-A underscore Kadar, Q-A-D-A-R. And I am at Natalie Hambly. And our producers are Dan Barrett and Jeremy Wilmot. After a while, fuck it up. Until next time, don't let the bastards grind you down. Need a few minutes to reset? Great Minds is a podcast from SBS that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.